Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Dre, how are you? Doing good, man. Getting ready for getting ready for the, the Knolls to get right to to get things started, but um, I kind of feel bad for what you're going through right now. I mean, it can't be as bad as what the Baltimore Orioles beat writers are going through right now with 18 straight, but still, a full week of defeats isn't isn't fun to watch. So, hang in there, man. Yeah, in the spirit of the bare naked ladies, I feel like I just do it. It's been one week since the Marlins won, and I'll just <laughs> stop a, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But on the yeah. bright side, I will say. But accurate. Yeah. My, I will say my four days in Cincinnati did come with a Saturday post-game <laughs> concert of 90s hip-hop throwback. Got to see Naughty by Nature, Vanilla Ice. Look at Vanilla oh, Ice was there. Oh, Vanilla my God. Vanilla Ice was there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So. I mean, even the Flagler Greyhound track doesn't get Vanilla Ice. I mean, that's 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 a that's a get for Cincinnati. Yeah, so Great American Ballpark, great place, 15th and final National League Ballpark I had to get to. I'm down to, I think, nine total to finish up, which I'll have about three years, depending on how the Marlins schedule plays out. But we'll get to all that in a little bit. We have a lot more important news to share. Uh, The Marlins announced on Monday that it's finally Edward Cabrera time. He's getting a call-up. He's coming to the show. He is scheduled to start on Wednesday night against the Washington Nationals at Lone Depot Park. Dre, you told me to let you know when Edward Cabrera is starting. Well, he's starting. There he is. At long last, finally. What did it take? What did it take, Jordan? Where where are we? Late August? Yep. Well, interestingly enough, it's going to be just about – it's going to be a year and two days after Sixto Sanchez made his debut last year. He made it August 23rd, 2020. Coincidentally, also against the Nationals. Edward Cabrera will be August 25th, 2021. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's finally time. And look, a lot of things have happened to him when it comes to, you know, injuries. We've seen it up ups and downs, but the important thing is the time is now we're finally get to get to see someone that, you know, we've been eagerly anticipating because of just the type of pitcher that he is. I mean, he's, he's, it's similar to, in the sense of to six though, we've talked about it, you know, in terms of the velocity, the kind of pitch arsenal that he has this is another guy who can be a frontline starter if all goes well for them. So again, the excitement level should be there. It's warranted. And I think I, you know, I really want to see if this is going to be similar to Sixto in the sense that is he going to come in and is he going to have success right away? Or is it going to be a little different, you know, in sense of, you know, is he going to have his struggles early on? I think, I think he has a chance to do something similar. Obviously it's not going to be during a playoff stretch the way, the way it was for Sixto, but Still important starts. Again, this is the theme of what's left of this, uh, you know, miserable season for them is to get as many moments like these as possible, as much development time as possible for their key guys. And Edward is, you know, at or near the top of that list for sure. So this is going to be a very productive thing the rest of the way for this franchise. Yeah, Edward Cabrera, he's ranked number 30 overall in all baseball in MLB Pipeline's latest updates number two person in the Marlins system, just below first round pick Khalil Watson. He jumped six, he jumped six though. He jumped Max Meyer. He jumped all of them based off of, well, obviously six though got dropped down a little bit because of just the injury and not, not playing this year with the shoulder injury and the ultimate surgery that knocked him out before he threw a pitch. But Edward Cabrera, there have been people even going back as early as the start of 2020 who felt like Edward could, could and would potentially 
jump over Sixto as the top prospect in the system. Like you mentioned, their stuff is fairly similar. Both have fastballs that hit triple digits. They have plus changeups to play off the fastballs. Uh, Edward Slider has improved dramatically over the last couple of years. He has another breaking pitch that he can weave in there as well for four really solid pitches. And as you mentioned, the main thing is if he stays healthy and if everything works out, he'll have he'll have about six starts during this final stretch of the season. Now, not the biggest sample size, but it's enough of the sample size to start getting a gauge for the Marlins to have to start figuring out a game plan going into the offseason and into 2022, where and if everything works out like they were trying to hope for this year, he could be a high end part of this rotation that already has a lot of really good pieces in it already. Well, well, look, I'm looking at an MLB Pipeline's profile on him right now. Fastball, we know, is 65. They grade the slider at 60. They grade the changeup at 55. But I remember when I was at baseball, when I was talking, writing for Baseball America, excuse me, the changeup rave reviews. I mean, there were some people that thought it even had the potential to be even like a 70 changeup. Like it was that good. And they thought it felt like that was the separator when it came to him was that, yes, he's got the fastball, got the velo, but if he, if that change really came along, maybe even if it wasn't maybe 70, but, you know, to the point where maybe, you know, 60, three-plus pitches is always the, the big thing, you know, whenever you're talking about a starter, especially a frontline starter. If you have them not just above average, but but really plus pitches like that, you're that's deadly to have at the top of any rotation. So, I mean, He's very comparable to Sixto. I could see why, with all the issues that that Sixto's had in the last few months, why he's jumped them now by a couple spots. But I think it, the fact that if, if they can ever get Sixto back on the field and and right now, you've got the potential to have those two. Like you said, I mean that that's that's exciting stuff for them in terms of the rotation. Then Max Meyer coming along and the rest. I mean that that's what the vision was to have this great rotation put together with with those two guys. You know, I, we were you know a couple of years ago. Uh, we were writing ahead and saying the all Dominican front three is going to be Sandy, him and six though. It hasn't worked out that way yet, but there's still a chance. And this is exciting to see his part of it, you know, potentially start to come to fruition now. Yeah. And as you mentioned, Sandy, six, Cabrera, got Trevor Rogers, who's had a great rookie year so far. We're going to talk a little bit more about him in the second half of the show. Max Meyer having a pretty strong first year in the organization. Jake either having a pretty good, strong first year in the organization. Still Pablo Lopez, still have Eliezer Hernandez. Where are the bats, man? Yeah. That's what that's what worries me. Where are yeah. the bats? That's the main thing. And that kind of weaves us into part two of this part as we talk more about the minor leaguers and the guys who are going to, as the Marlins hope, to become pieces in the long term in the long term. We're nearing September 1st, where rosters expand. We're going to see a few more guys on the roster. It's different this year in compared to years past, where the roster size is capped at 28 compared to in the past where you were able, basically anybody on your 40-man was able to come up for the final month. Right. Now they have to be selective. We bring up there are very, only two, two extra guys. Yeah, only two extra guys. And there's also the balance of with this year, with the minor league season getting pushed back a month, triple-A season – runs into till early October, just like yeah, you can get more games down there. Is, now. Yeah. yeah. So the big league season, and the triple A season are both the same, which sort of puts the Marlins in the catch 22 situation where normally the guys who get called up are brought up because the minor league season's over. So you give them the chance to get some at bats here, some at bats there. Right. Whereas in triple a, some of your guys who 
you normally would bring up just to get some extra backs can still be playing every day down there. Right. Which brings them into that spot where they've basically been with main guy who I think deserves a call up first baseman, Leywin Diaz. Do they right. bring him up to the big league to say, we want to see where he is, even though he's not starting every day, or do they keep him in triple a and say, we want him to keep playing every single day. They right. sort of been teetering those two thought processes, which sort of makes it a tough decision for a guy specifically like Lewin, where you want to see both things, but really you have to pick one of the two. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, normally it's a no brainer, like you said, but I mean, I, I almost would think you don't because of the fact that he can get more at bats, unless you're going to have enough quality at bats up, up there for him, you know, enough opportunities up there for him, which I think at this point he warrants that to have that entire month of September to get big league experience. But if that's not in the cards and you're not going to do that, then you should, then you might as well leave him down there to keep working on it. Keep, keep doing well. I mean, look, the batting average is nothing special, but don't look at that. Look at the OPS, you know, isn't bad 865. I think the, the most interesting thing, more than half of his hits going for extra bases. I think that just shows you right there, the kind of product production that he can bring in the major league lineup eventually. And again, you know, like I go back to first base, the way he can play first base already as a rookie is pretty darn impressive, you know, defensively there. And that's been, that was the, always the review. Anyone I talked to, whether it was scouts in or out of the organization or coaches was this guy's major league ready on the defensive side. So you felt comfortable putting him there, knowing that you weren't going to have a hole there at first base or concern of, can he handle it? That sort of thing. He was going to be stable enough to do that right off the bat. But you know, the ideal thing obviously would be give him the entire month of September. This is your future at the position. You bring them up and you let them play it out and, and, and just get as many of those reps as possible because maybe you're looking at by next year, who knows, you know, maybe you can, maybe he's already inserted and you have one of your future pieces. I mean, it's like we, 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 we had this projected team all around the diamond, all around the outfield by now. He's one of the few that has stayed on course and not had any hiccups and not have any serious setbacks, or anything like that. So you'd like to see at least one of those guys finally entrench themselves into, into that spot. Yeah, and you mentioned the extra base hits. He has 18 home runs, 13 <clears throat> doubles. That's 31 of his 60 hits, 48 RBI, 46 runs. He's looked the part there in AAA. We'll see what happens when call-ups happen about a week. But now the transition to other possible candidates to come up in September, they're kind of in a tricky spot when it comes to the position player-wise because you look at the infield outside the first base. You have you already have uh, Isan Diaz who can play second and third. You have Jazz playing second and short. You have Miggy at short. You have Anderson at third. And they're already in that four guys, three spots situation, sort of like mm-hmm. what they had with Aguilar, Cooper, and Duvall with first base right field earlier in the year. You look at the outfield, you have Jesus Sanchez and Brian De La Cruz, the two main guys they really need, they really want to get a lot of regular bats for. You have Lewis Brinson and Magnery Sierra, two guys who had been here for a while. They're out of options. This is really their last shot. And you have Jorge Alfaro, who they're splitting between first base, left field, and catcher to give him some versatility, whether that's for him with the team long-term, whether it's to increase potential trade value in case they don't want to in case they want to try to find a way to, to find a trade for him before they have to go into arbitration with him again. Yeah. But that's still already five guys for three spots, which makes right. it tough to bring try to justify bringing another outfielder in there, even though there's a case for Amante Harrison for his last shot, et cetera, et cetera. Right. 
that really just leaves pitching to bring up, whether it's bringing up the guys who have been floating up and down Jordan Holloway, Nick Niter to fill out bullpen spots down the stretch or rotate guys in and out of the rotation and not have to bring them back down to AAA or mm-hmm. just filling up the bullpen. But it's hard to see anything outside, outside of Lewin. It seems hard to see anything in terms of position players coming up for that final month. No, I agree with you. I think, and, and you're always going to need bullpen arms, especially down the stretch. There's going to be games that I think they're going to, you know, you're going to need the burn innings, that sort of thing. So I, I see it being, I see the, them going the pitcher route with, with that part of it, but I would like to see, I mean, you're, you, I know we're going to talk about some of these guys, what they've done in the minors, but I don't know if he's ready yet necessarily, but I'd like to see even if it was just a brief, you know, call up. Now I'm not saying he gets the entire month or anything like that, but maybe just a little, little taste of the majors for a guy, maybe like, you know, Burdick or Cameron Meisner, you know, just, just, just get them up and, and, and maybe see what they can do. something like that. I mean, I, to me, you, you look at Meisner now, I mean, he's getting on base. He's getting more consistent Was a 24 game on base streak right now. He's hitting 316 down there, five home runs, nine multi-hit games. He's on a pretty good stretch right now. I mean, but again, you don't want to rush guys up either. So I get that part of it, especially if you're. Probably if don't you're want to start their, they don't want to start the service time clock either on some of these guys, like Meisner, for example. Exactly. exactly. Just last year, he's also in high A. Right, and that's the thing. Like you look at all these guys, you don't want to you don't want to rush them and give them a chance too early, and you don't. You definitely that to, to me, that's always one of the most important things, and we've talked about it a bunch. When people are like, "Oh, can't wait to see somebody," it's like, "Yeah, why do you want to burn that when you can save all that service time? Let's say for next season." And by then bring them up, some, something like that. I mean, I know the fans are antsy to see, and then I keep even I'm telling you a minute ago, where are the bats? Where are the bats? Well, a lot of cases they're just not ready yet, and I think people are going to be, you know, if, if you're if you're still bought in to this entire grand plan of, of theirs, it's going to take until at least next year to see some of them. But in the meantime, circling back, I, I'm with you, and I think you'll see the Holloways and the Nighters continue to get work because. Again, down the stretch, they're going to have a lot of these games where they're going to have to use a lot of arms. And in order to do that, you're going to have to fill spots, and that's a perfect opportunity for those guys to continue to, to develop. Yeah, and to do our minor league recap, since we're so heavy on the minors and the, the front half of the show, let's just knock out some of these other highlights. You mentioned Cam Meisner, the 24-game on base streak, multi-hit games in nine, out, nine of those 24 games. The part that's impressing me probably the most in that 112 play appearances, just 21 strikeouts. Yeah, 0.75 percent strikeout. Right. And that's what I mean. I know I, I you know, I, I may have jumped the gun a little bit in terms of the level he's at right now, but I just think he's progressing. And eventually, maybe next season, could you could you you'd like to see him take a leap based on that? You know what he's been able to accomplish and the consistency that he seems to be having at the plate. Yeah, and then a couple of the double A, double A bats there. Uh, Griffin Conine hit three home runs over his final two games this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. He now has 34 home runs between Class A advanced Beloit and Double A Pensacola. Leads minor league minor baseball. league home run champ. Yep. But he also has a healthy 152 strikeouts in 408 plate appearances. And that's why he's not ready yet. Yeah, which is why again I know everybody <laughs> loves to talk the home runs and all of that, and I understand why you're getting hyped up and excited about the power, but. You yep. also have to look at the other side of the coin. We do have to experience, we have to see the reality of what's going on when the home runs aren't happening and what's going on with the rest of the at bats as well. Bingo. I talked with Griffin right before he got promoted to double A. He 
he acknowledged that his strikeout rate is too high. He knows he has to, to work on it, but you can tell that that's still a work in progress. Yeah, you can tell. I mean, little by little, I think. I mean, I, the problem is, like, you see – it's a little bit alarming when you see guys that that it has that drastic of a spread, you know what I mean? But that's what the, that's what this timing is for. I mean, you hope he could find it. Conine, of course, though, not one of those younger, younger prospects. So he has been at this for a little bit already. So that's, this is already kind of like similar to Monte Harrison and, you know, where you want to already see some tangible progress and hope that they can turn out to be what you're hoping for. But, you know, the longer it goes, the longer it goes, you hope it's something where they're just not figuring it out, or maybe this is the player that they're going to be. You know, is it good enough to, to get to where they want to get to? I mean, that's time will tell. And I think he's another one that going in the next season, we'll see more of, but I think if you dive diving a little lower into the system here, good to see that, as you pointed out, Dax Fulton and Yuri Perez, both headed to Beloit, especially Yuri Perez. Again, that, that, that high, that, that quick riser there that that's been getting a lot of buzz this season. Here you go. Another notch for, 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 for super tall Yuri Perez, who is uh, coming on strong little by little there. Yeah. Six foot eight Yuri Perez got moved up to number seven in the Marlin system by pipeline in their midseason report. I think he was like 17 or 18 to start the year. So yes. to see him rise 10, 11 spots, that's solid for him. Uh, his first start in Beloit, he gave up three unearned runs, with six strikeouts over five innings, 59, oh, pretty good. two for strikes. So again, pounding the strike zone, just like yep. he did back in Jupiter. Dax Fulton, uh, four runs, three earned in five innings, 71 pitches, 44 strikes, which again, this first year for him, fresh out of high school, fresh off Tommy John surgery. Just again, this is the building learning stage for him, as we've mentioned multiple times on this podcast for Dax Fulton this year. And to go to the fresh, fresh group, the 2021 draft picks, seven of their 20 signees are already in class a Jupiter, which again, there's no short season. So it's either rookie ball or low a. So there's really, there's no mailman anymore, but of the group. And again, there's one, two, three, four, five of their picks in the top 10 rounds. It's their 18th round pick Bennett Hostelter. Who's just continuing to Hostetler. Yeah. The infielder from Bozeman, Montana out of North Dakota state. I really uh, want to know, is he related to the Giants quarterback from back in the day? I would not be surprised. There's only so many Hostelters out there. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Hostelter. Oh, it's Hostelter. Okay, Hostelter. never mind. I, okay, I think I think I saw you had it Hostetler in another in another spelling there. That threw it me off. Never mind. The L and the T might have been mixed up. When yeah, never mind. Spelling. If he's Hostelter, that's not, then never mind. No, I'm thinking Jeff Hostetler, who used to who won a Super Bowl with the Giants. Never mind. Yeah, I'm actually double-checking to make sure. I think I spelled it both ways in – this you probably have it right. Well, but anyway, back on point. It's, yeah, he's a H O S T E T L E R. Also, it is Hostetler. Is Hostetler? Okay, Hostetler, not not Hostelter. Okay, so Hostetler puts uh, Jeff back in the in the as a possibility here. I, I got to find that out. But anyway, I'll leave that to you, and we'll circle back next week on that. Yeah. Either way, but, either way, he's impressing. Three thirty three batting average, fourteen RBI, at least one hit in eleven of his first fifteen starts. Uh, last week alone, he went 10 for 23. That's 435 with two doubles, five RBI, and four runs scored. Mm-hmm. Pretty good first impression. Again, it's yeah. see what happens. At, from right, he played, he's been playing second and third base primarily, which, again, good to see some initial work from him. 
Yeah, I mean, again, any anytime you can find the you know those those hidden gems, especially in those lower rounds on day three, I mean that's tremendous. I mean, I'm gonna shamelessly throw a little a uh, little plug to uh, Hunter Purdue, Mr. Seminole, who uh, came in and made his debut as well, the tenth round pick. You know, the already on the mound out there for Jupiter, and you know, you look at some others here, Chandler Joswiak. Am I saying that right? That's thirteenth round pick. Yeah, from Alex a and from Texas A&M also getting out there as well. I mean, any, any, any kind of value you can get for picks like that, that's huge. I mean, that's what bolsters your organization for sure. But I mean, I, I go, you and I are both on the same page when it comes to, you know, a guy like Tanner Allen, fourth round pick. We definitely want to see what he can do down the stretch there. And uh, going down to the, uh, the, 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 the oh, league that we love the name, the Florida complex league. It's good to finally see Khalil Watson, actually on out there and playing finally because I know it took a while to get him signed but 368 batting average 994 on base mark during his first OPS. week of pro ball 994 OPS oh you said on uh, oh okay sorry sorry yeah, yeah I, I misread that but the slugging the, the OPS is 994 even of course even better anyway I mean that's it's only a week but seven for 19 at the plate six walks eight runs struck out just twice. I mean, you're kind of seeing a little bit of a, of, a, of a taste of why there's so much hype surrounding this kid and why he's already surged to the top of a pretty good farm system and he's number one ranked already. I mean, that, that just shows you the excite, why the excitement, why, what all the fuss is about, really. I mean, now it's a matter of him settling in and continuing to develop. Obviously, a little ways to go. You know, he just started, but it, it, it just shows you the potential. Yeah, and it's also going to be interesting to see how the Marlins balance – what they do with him, they try to promote them to potentially Jupiter for that final stretch. Just considering how many middle infielders they already have at the lower levels. Jose Salas just got moved up to Jupiter. You still have Nassim Nunez, who he's been on the injured list for a little bit. Potentially see if he gets healthy, potentially moving him to high A to free up a spot. But with just the depth they have at the middle infielder position, especially on the lower levels. And again, this is where not having the short season kind of bites them in a little bit for the early stage of development where you have a guy like Khalil who you have at the rookie league right now, but kind of would want to see where, what, how he would fit in at maybe a Jupiter or in that low a level, but may not have the spots for everyone who you want to see getting everyday reps. Right. But I mean, you know, I think they can, I think they'll balance away. I think they'll figure out a way to do that. You know, and Salas, I'm glad you mentioned because I did I did see that recently too. And and I've for a while, ever since you know, I got the chance to 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 do a little bit of of, of a, you know analysis on him and talking to scouts about him, that whole thing. It was like he, he's he was he's still so young and it's still so far away, so it's hard to project, but there's a reason there's a, some excitement with him too. I mean, I, I I like the potential of him at the plate. I mean, I think a lot of these guys you see the skill in terms of fielding, in terms of the tools defensively. But I think he's one of the ones that kind of stood out where people projected his bat to come along really well. And I'm excited to see if, you know, what his first bats are going to look like, what his first maybe month or so at that level is going to look like, and then so on and so on. But I think that he's the kind of, he's a player that was talked about. I mean, I know he's listed as a middle infielder. At first you start thinking it's a shortstop, but you never know. He does have the a little bit larger frame where maybe maybe he plays second base instead. But either way, 
I really had, it was, he was one of those that always stood out to me. Like he could be that future piece. He's still a long way to go because again, what is he? I think he's not even 18 yet. I think he's still, is he's only uh, 17 he, still? He turned 18 in April. In a, oh, he did turn in 18. Okay. But he's still 18 years old. So it's still a little ways to go. But uh, he, the, again, that the potential there for him to finally be one of these guys that maybe we don't have to wait till he's 22, 23. This, guy, this is a guy who could be a high riser in the system based on what everybody was talking about, you know, in terms of scouting and, and that sort of thing from an early age. Yeah. So the quickly update his numbers, he, he batted 370. That was uh, 34 for 92 when he was in the, the rookie league, the floor complex league, the FCL, mm-hmm. however you want to describe it. His first four games in Jupiter he was five for 17, 294 average with one double and RBI drew two walks, struck out just three times. Yeah, so well, pretty, pretty good. Last, again, the, the last one, ding. Again, that was that's always the one that perks the ear up. Is like very few strikeouts. I'm always impressed when I see that because that shows you that even if he's not getting the hits, but at least he's seeing. You know, the approach is probably there. He's seeing the ball well, discipline at the plate. Always, always huge. And you know, and you know, a lot of, with all the guys that we talk about that are striking out a ton. That's always good to see, especially a guy like him. Like, like you just said, he's still we're eight, you know we're talking about an eighteen-year-old with a lot of upside. Yeah, and on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will recap the week that was, or I guess we could say the week that wasn't for the Marlins. We have to. It'll be a very quick recap with <laughs> more again the continued focus on what's to come beyond the season. There you go. And with that, we will be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back, everyone. So since the last time Andre and I talked, or last time we put out a podcast, Marlins have gone healthy 0 for 7. <laughs> healthy. Yeah. All your choice got, of words. They got swept in three games at home against the Atlanta Braves, 12 to 2, 2 to 0, and 11 to 9. And then they lost a four-game set in Cincinnati, 6 to 1, 5 to 3, 7 to 4, and 3 to 1. Did you get all that? Good. The Marlins are now 23 games under 500 heading into this next homestand. But again, at this point, we've where's that all... run differential now? That's a very good question. It's something I haven't checked in a while. Give me two seconds and I will pull that up. Since everyone was so hung up on the run differential for and, half the season. Well, where was as, that run differential? Yeah, well, if I remember correctly, the Braves are the only one with a positive run differential in the NL East, and that is still the case. The Marlins they are should now. should be. They're going to win the division. Yeah. The Marlins are now minus 35. Which is still ahead, which is ahead of only the Nationals, who are minus fifty-two, and who the Marlins will host for the next three games. So, uh, the, so who wins the race for the higher pick? Big series this week between the between the Marlins and the Nats. Yeah, yeah. This is basically between this series and the three games they play in DC. This is going to determine who gets last place. Unless of course, got to keep streaking. Got to keep streaking to yeah. get higher in that uh, draft order. Yeah, but and also again, if you're missing, remember. The Mets are still sliding too. They're they're on, they're only two games. They're two games under five hundred right now. The Marlins yeah, play them still, at times. Yeah. They've been again as of right now. The Marlins are fighting for fourth. 
to try right. to avoid last place right now. But, are they though? <laughs> the Marlins are. Or should we say they're fighting? Well, they're fighting for fourth, fourth place in the draft order. Aha! Uh, I see what you're doing there, Andre. Yeah. But again, <laughs> at this point of the year, just as as just has been the case for many of the last few years, this time of year is more about seeing what you have, seeing these young guys who are up here and trying to just get that gauge for the future. And the Marlins do have some pieces that they still need to continue to get the gauge on. Uh, two outfielders in particular, uh, Brian De La Cruz, who they acquired from the Houston Astros in the Yimmy Garcia trade. Jesus Sanchez, who returned after missing about a month while he was on the COVID IL. Uh, I want to start with De La Cruz first because I – Came in when he made his debut on uh, July 30th. I was basically like, okay, let's see what's going, what's going to happen with this guy. He's batting 75 at bats in. He's hitting 307, two home runs. He has hits in all but about a handful of games, and he started basically every game he's been up here. I mean, long term, he's most likely going to be a fourth outfielder, but for a first, first month, especially after being a minor leaguer for seven years, grinding through that to – Show show what he's doing right now. It's been it's been a delight. It's been a delightful revelation to see this guy. And it's funny because two of two outfielders have really been two of the highlights within such a you know such misery lately. And that was you know the way Brinson was coming on strong recently, and now De La Cruz. I mean they they may have found something like you said. Maybe he's the fourth guy eventually. Right now he's not. And I mean you can't afford to say he's a fourth guy right now because. It's not like you're swimming in that much outfield depth at this level. Exactly. But down the road, I mean, this is valuable experience for him right now. And this and and the fact that he's responding and this is major league level pitching right now, that's tremendous. I mean, this is, that's a great find for them, you know, overall in the in the long run. You never know. Maybe this maybe he ends up being a piece that they weren't expecting initially. So again, it's it's definitely one of the silver linings on on, on a season that's really had not much of it. Yeah, and the other outfielder, Jesus Sanchez, he got that he got his chance back in early, uh, mid-June, played pretty solid for that month before the All-Star break, and then right when he comes back, he's on the IL, gone for about a month, made his return on August 16th, had two really sluggish games against the Braves in his return, and then his final at-bat in that Brave series hits a big two-run home run in the ninth inning, as the Marlins try to claw back in that game that went from looking like a complete blowout to being only an 11, nine loss, which again, that final score showed it being a lot closer than that game actually, what actually was. Yeah. Yeah. Deceiving. They did have, they did have a few games that were tight and and were close. I know like Sandy pitched another good game, you know, in, in Cincinnati and unfortunately, you know, had no, offensive backup in that one and weren't able to pull it off but which has been the theme all year (laughs) it's yeah i mean that's the thing that's why that's why we're talking farm system once again and and uh selling hope instead of uh talking about the major league team you know and on on august 23rd yeah but with back to sanchez really quickly he hits that home run that final home game against atlanta and then he's basically he's hit he has at least one hit or i think it's fuck no tally is uh, four hits over his last four starts, worked some pretty good play appearances. And again, this is a guy who we saw got a taste of last year, only had 25 at bats and things started to struggle. And he looks a lot more comfortable and confident both at the play and in left and right field. And 
at this point, it's let's see what happens over these final six weeks with him as well. Yeah, definitely. And again, it goes back to evaluation completely in that. And another guy, I mean, transitioning here, I know you really wanted to talk about Trevor Rogers and, you know, you were able to talk to him. You you had a one-on-one interview with him in Cincinnati. And again, a big piece of the Marlins future and a guy who, you know, with the season he was having has had a really rough month. So I'll let you tell everybody what you, you know, what, what you guys talked about, but before you do, just want to say, hang in there, Trevor. And we're, we're, you know, we're pulling for you, man. Yeah. I need to echo that as well. Trevor has been on the first, it was the family medical emergency list in on August 3rd, then got moved to the bereavement list on August 10th. And then because you're only allowed to be on each of those lists for a week, seven days max in, in a span on the, on August 17th, the Marlins moved into the restricted list. Uh, he's been with the team for about a week now coming back. He again, hasn't pitched since the end of July, but he went through so much over a two week span that I, I commend his strength. I have no idea how he's functioning and focusing on baseball at this point in time. Uh, just the really quick synopsis. Cause I'm actually going to play the audio and let Trevor explain everything himself. Uh, both his parents test positive for COVID-19. There was a, real ordeal there both of them are as of now they are both okay and also in that two-week span both of his grandfathers died passed away it was i again in a two-week span for for one guy to see all this unfolding in front of him while also in the back of his mind thinking i'm still potentially in a running for rookie of the year and for him basically he made the right call he stepped away from from baseball for a few weeks went and made family the priority, which is and should be the priority in this case. And now he's working his way back. His ultimate hope is to be back for the final two to three weeks of the season. He has to throw a couple bullpen sessions, has to probably make a rehab start or two, likely down in Jupiter, just to get the innings under him before he comes back. But Trevor, just want to say, first off, First off, I'm we're here for you. Our thoughts and prayers are with you and your family. And secondly, I want to say thank you for taking the time and giving me the opportunity to to get your story out there and everything that happened. And with that said, here's Trevor Rogers to explain everything in much more detail. It's been a really tough two weeks, you know. Uh, my mom, my both of my parents got COVID, and my, my dad made it out all right. Uh, then my mom was doing well, um, and then kind of got she got pneumonia from it, and then kind of slowly went downhill. And when I was here, I was just co- contacting my dad, just all right, what's going on? And then um, I forget who I think it was against the break. No, anyway, I forget we were someone against uh, at home. And he said my mom got airlifted to another hospital and put on a ventilator. So, I mean, when you hear that and your mom's not breathing on her own and she's sedated, um, kind of the last thing I want to think about is baseball. So I went back home and just spent time with my, with my dad because it really hit him hard. There was, there was a few moments where it got, it got really scary and like, man, I think the worst of the worst might happen, but my mom, freaking tough woman, she battled a lot of prayer, 
lot of answered prayer, and uh, she got through it. And uh, thank God she she made it home yesterday. And uh, on top of that, I lost both my grandfathers within a week of each other. So it was just like one thing on top of another. It was tough, you know. It, it sucked, but I know that both my grandfathers are in a better place and they're not uh, suffering anymore. And my mom's back home, so it was it was a tough two weeks. And really, I was just happy to talk to my mom again and see that she's doing better. And so yeah, it was it could have been a lot worse, but uh, she made it through. Man, this organization has been unbelievable. Um, from Jeter to Kim to Donnie to Mel to Brian, Daniel even reached out a few times. I mean, all my teammates, like everyone reached out, like, take your time. We're thinking about you. We're praying for you. Uh, it's something that meant a lot to me, and it's something I, I, I won't forget ever. It's, but this, this organization is like, it's my extended family. After that, I, I, I truly believe that. All right, and once again, I just want to thank Trevor Rogers one last time for being so open and willing to explain everything that's been going on. I know that was not easy in the slightest, and we're hoping for the best for everything moving forward. No and no yeah, no and to wrap up the show on a little bit more of a brighter mood, bright on a lighter tone, uh, I have to give a big congratulations to good old Miguel Cabrera. Hit home run number 500 on Sunday, and... This is a long time coming, and for the former Marlin, now Detroit Tiger, Miggy, congratulations, man. Yeah, I mean, it took me back thinking about that. You know, I mean, we always talk, we always remember Miggy, what he did in 03 and as a, as a rookie and everything, but and I, got, I had memories of going to, to the parade back in the day and, and seeing him on the float, and, 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 like, you look at Miggy now and you're like, wow. Like, you just – you remember when Miggy had the the baby face and he was just 20 years old and what an amazing career. And that's not, let's not forget triple crown winner, you know, the one, the, the, of, of this, the only one of this era. I mean, it, it's just remarkable enough. But now 500 – and I hope he gets the 3,000, darn it, because yep. he's, he's, he's knocking on there. And I don't know if he has enough time to get it done this season. It's going to be close. But if he doesn't, I hope he can come back next year and, and, and eclipse that mark before he calls it a career. Yeah, he's 45 hits away, 2,955. He's going to be close. Yeah. It's about 35 yep. games left in the season. Yep. That would be. He's going to have to go on a tear. I mean, if he, if he gets hot, maybe he can do it. But let's say if he comes up a few, a few hits short, love that, would love to see him come back next season. And the Tigers have been better this year, so it would be good. If he was still a part of that, comes back next year, maybe nice little 3,000 chase in, in April. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely going to be fun to see. We'll have to watch that as on, that unfolds. And on that note, that's going to wrap it up for, for us this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. We will be back again next week. Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>